0: We're going to finalize our series about being generous and content this morning and talk about whether we're really trusting God with our finances, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge us this morning a little bit, so I hope you're ready to just let the Holy Spirit speak to us from his word and challenge us a little bit, and so let me, uh, let me jump in with a word of prayer and just kind of get our hearts heading in the right direction. Jesus, we give you thanks and we give you praise that you provide everything for us that you are our provider and we can trust in you because you love, the word says you love to give good gifts to your children and we're your kids. And so we want to put ourselves in a place of receiving your blessing and in a place of just being provided by you. And so Lord, we pray that we would also be people that are obedient to your word and obedient to the things that you've asked us to with our finances so that we can honor you in every single area of our life. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you a little bit about um, Jim and Susie. Jim and Susie were a typical American couple with a typical American family, three kids under eight, had a pretty good marriage. But there was one thing that Jim and Susie fought about often, money. And Jim and Susie fought about money because they were frustrated. (laughs) They were frustrated because Jim had a good paying job, worked 40 hours a week. Susie had a good paying job, worked 40 hours a week. But for some reason, because they had the inability to budget and to save for their future and get out of debt, it often took a toll on their relationship and their family because there always seemed to be more month than there was money. Well, Jim had a friend at work that he would talk to often about his marriage and his kids and things about the world and other things, just like to hang out and talk. And this guy's name was Steve. And Steve and his wife made a lot less than Jim and Susie. In fact, Steve was the only one with a job and his wife was a stay-at-home mom, but their finances were completely different. They always seemed to have enough and Steve, always seemed really content about having half the money that Jim had. So one day out of just utter frustration, Jim asked Steve kind of angrily, how do you guys do it? How do you stay above water? How how come it always seems like you have enough money and we don't, and we make twice as much as you? And Steve said, do do you really want to know? And Jim said, yes, I really wanna know. And Steve said, well, it's not really about the money. It's about my priorities and my relationship with Jesus. And when I came to believe in Jesus, Steve said, Jesus changed everything in my life. Not just money, but he changed everything. But eventually we we were really in debt and we were really struggling too, probably like you. But as we began to follow the Lord and God's word and submit our lives to Jesus, our finances got better because we obeyed God's word. In other words, we had a lifestyle change. We didn't just move numbers around. We changed everything in our life because of Jesus. Well, as a result, Jim and Susie, he started going to church with Steve and his wife. They started going to a small group. And opening God's word together, and eventually Jim and Susie and their kids all said yes to Jesus. Began to believe in him as their Savior. And as they trusted in God's word with their finances, their lives and also their finances began to turn around. And in a matter of a couple years, they were no longer living paycheck to paycheck. They had money in their savings account. They were saving for their kids' college. They were taking yearly vacations that they needed. They were saving for retirement. And the only debt that they had was their home. home. When Steve and Jim were talking a couple years later, one of the things that Steve asked Jim was, how do you feel like things are going now that you've come to know Jesus and are following him? And one of the things that Jim said was, it seems like most of the things in my life are where I always wanted them to be. And I'm so content. And it's interesting, because I actually have a lot less. This morning, I wanna talk about something very powerful that God's word teaches, that Jim and Susie learned about their finances. It's a principle that changed their life. It's a principle that can change your life because it's a promise of God in his scriptures. And it's simply this, that tithing plus generosity equals contentment. Tithing plus generosity equals contentment. This is God's formula for finances. And if we learn God's formula for finances, life will be very different. Now, let me tell you something. I didn't say life won't be difficult. I just said life will be different. In fact, you might find that life is actually sometimes more difficult, but what you will understand as you bring everything in your life into the priorities of God's word, you'll discover that actually Walking in intimate relationship with God through my difficulty is actually better than having everything together and struggling on my own. Anybody understand that principle? Now, the Bible has a lot to say about finances. There's commands, there's conversations, there's illustrations, there's stories. And here's what's interesting about all of that. All throughout the Bible, there is a correlation between the development of our character and how we handle money. Let me repeat that because this is really important. All throughout the Bible, there's a correlation between the development of our character and how we handle money. So it's not just about money, it's not just about moving figures around and fudging here and fudging there, it's not just about doing a budget, it's not just about honoring God with everything. It's about this journey that you and I are on in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. As we do that and as we are in relationship with the Lord, we discover that he, He wants every single area of our life to submit to Him so that he is honored in all things. Now, before you begin to talk about this formula of finances and figure all this out and look at some things in God's word, I feel like there's something that all of us have to get right in our heart and in our head. This is like the first step to the formula, you might say. But if we don't have this part right in our heart, in our head, a lot of the formula won't make sense. And so if we're gonna understand that tithing plus generosity equals contentment, then we must first understand something that Psalm 24 verse one tells us. Psalm 24 verse one says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. See, the first principle that you and I have to understand is everything is God's. Everything is His. Everything on this planet, everything off this planet, all of it, it's His. Deuteronomy 10, 14 says, look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Acts 17, 24, when the apostle Paul was sharing about The living God with the people in Athens said this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. The verses that we study all throughout scripture all all communicate one thing, that God is the owner and you and I, we're just the manager. We're not the owner, we're the manager. But when you start to think you're the owner, your heart and your mind, get out of whack. When you understand that you're the manager, your heart and your mind can focus on Christ in the right way. In Genesis 1:28, just right after God created man and woman, he said this, God bless them, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. God told humanity, after he created them in his image, what, be responsible with my stuff. Be responsible with my planet. I could stop right there and preach a whole nother message about whether we're responsible with our planet, couldn't I? But one of the things that I think is interesting is the Bible's fairly clear that you and I as Christian people are called to lead the charge on how to be responsible with our planet. Deuteronomy 8, 17, 18 says this, so that our heart and our mind is in the right place. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Isn't it so easy for us to see, even in our culture of wealth, we have a great tendency to think that we did all this stuff. (laughs) That we made all these things and we did all these things, but that's not true because we're actually just working with God's clay. We're working with God's clay, with his stuff, with his dirt, with his materials, with his glass, with his metals. We're working with his stuff. And he gives us the ability to mold it and shape it into something useful. So the first thing we have to understand in our hearts and in our minds is that everything is God's. When we understand that everything is his, the financial formula in God's word will have deep meaning. It'll have purpose and value. And so you and I have to understand it from that perspective, that tithing plus generosity equals contentment because everything is his. So the first part of God's formula for finances is tithing. Now here's what's interesting. Tithing reveals our heart towards God. That's what tithing does. It reveals how we feel in our heart, what we think about in our mind, and what our actions are gonna be towards our Heavenly Father, towards our provider, towards our Savior. Now, if you told me, Pastor Mark, um, I cuss all the time. I use God's name in vain. I tell coarse jokes at work. I say rude things to my wife and my kids. Then you're telling me that you're not faithful to Jesus with an area of your life, your tongue, your words. You might be being faithful with some other areas of your life, but you're not being faithful with your tongue. Now the Bible communicates something very clearly, that if we're not giving to God regularly, then that part of our life is not faithful to God, our finances. If we're not regularly giving to him, then our finances are serving a different master. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. Interesting. This is why money and finances is such a big thing. Because what Jesus is communicating is money is like a God. It can become a God. Now we wouldn't know anything about that in our culture because we're really, really good about putting money in proper perspective. Or maybe we need a little help with this. (laughs) Because I think in our culture, we do completely believe that money is God, don't we? You can see that when times get tough. Is anybody upset right now that the interest rate's going up? Anyone in our culture or everyone in our culture? Everyone is, why? Because you're messing with my money. We don't care that you're messing with our kids with inappropriate stuff all over the internet but you're messing with our money, so I'm really ticked now. So what do we value? We value money. Because we get upset about what we really value. And so in our culture, we could say, the thing that we really get upset about the most is our money, so then money must be our master, our God. And Jesus says, if you're gonna understand my formula, you have to understand that you have to serve the Lord, not money. Now, a simple definition of tithing is giving back to God, part of what he has given to us. I'm giving back to God, part of what he has given to us. This is what the Bible teaches. It teaches us to give a portion of our income back to God. Now, this is an established practice. Uh, Really, as far back as you can go in scripture, Abraham started tithing to King Melchizedek way back in Genesis, and it continued, it became a part of the family of God. Then it became a command of God in the law in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 and 32, when God said a tithe, and that word tithe means a tenth, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And that word holy means set apart, it means separate. So a tithe of of what you're getting, because we remember everything was agricultural back then. So what I'm raising from the soil, grain, fruit, and then verse 32, every tithe of the herd and flock, every 10th animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. So what the Lord really established in Leviticus 27 that continued even to this day is that we would give a portion of what God has given to us back to him to remind us that our heart belongs to the Lord. Now, what has he given us? He's given us everything. And if everything in this world is God's, then 100% of what we have is God's. And that's true. It doesn't mean we're only faithful with the 10%. It means we're also faithful with 90 as well. In fact, I know someone, an acquaintance of someone that is fairly wealthy. He actually tithes 90 and lives on 10. How many many think that sounds good? That sounds kind of cool. (laughs) Because he trusts the Lord. Now, here's what's interesting. Somebody might ask, if God owns everything, then why do I need to tithe? Like, if he owns everything and he provides everything for me, then why do I need to tithe? That must mean tithing is not just about the money. It must be about my character development. It must be about changing my heart. It must be about changing my mind. And it must be about investing in the kingdom of God. Because that's what it's about. See, the tithe is purposeful. It's to help us not forget that everything is God's. It's to help us not get proud and boastful. It's to help us trust in God, not ourselves. It's to provide for those that teach us spiritually and help us grow in the Lord. It's to help the mission of Jesus be extended to the lost and the hurting. It's to help our youth go to camp. It's to help our kids have VBS. It's to help our missionaries go around the world. It's to help the kingdom of God advance in this time. Now Jesus talked about tithing in Mark chapter 12 and he said something interesting there in verse 13. It says later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. It is right, is it right, to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's And to God, what is God's? And they were amazed at him. Now, I don't like Jesus' answer, but but it's there, right? So we got to look at it. I was really hoping that Jesus would say, you know, Caesar is nothing compared to God, so we don't need to pay taxes. But God's really important, so you should continue to tithe. Like, that would have been a really good answer. But that's not what he said. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God... What is God's? Now that answer implies something. It implies that there has been some prior knowledge and some prior thinking about God's expectations regarding your income. That goes all the way back to Genesis. It goes all the way back to Leviticus 27 that the prophets talked about, that the Psalms talked about, that Proverbs talks about. And it's that, everything is God's. And because of that, the expectation is to give God a tithe because we're supposed to give to God what is God's. So giving to God regularly is a tithe. And giving to God regularly is about trust. Do you trust God with your finances? If you do, you'll begin to obey him with that area of your life. See, when we tithe, not only are we telling God something, we're also telling ourselves something. See, when we tithe, we're telling ourselves and reminding ourselves about some really important facts. We're reminding ourselves that everything is God's. We're reminding ourselves that I trust that God can take care of me no matter how much I make. We're saying to ourselves, I believe God is doing something in my heart and in our relationship as I tithe. When we tithe, we are saying, in my life, God is my God, not money. When we tithe, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus' kingdom is more important than my kingdom. When we tithe, we're saying, my church and my spiritual growth is valuable to me. When we tithe, we're saying helping people in need in our community is something God wants me to do. And lastly, when we tithe, we're saying that I trust that there is a purpose in my tithe, in my giving regularly to God. We also and lastly are telling ourselves that there is a correlation between the development of my character and how I manage my money. Tithing plus generosity equals contentment. The next little idea is generosity. In the Old Testament, this word is offering. In the New Testament, the word is generosity. Basically what it means is that generosity reveals our heart for the lost and the hurting. It reveals the work that God has done in our heart and our mind in regards to those around us, to the social structure that we're living in and to the people that we see that need Christ. See, generosity is different than tithing. Tithing is a command of God. Generosity is a way we give above and beyond our tithing and generosity or offering is more than obeying God for his purposes It's about what Holy Spirit is doing in our heart for the world around us. This is the Good Samaritan principle. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? It's a great story that Jesus talked about to remind us about how important it is to be generous with our life, in everything in our life. This is the story where a man was traveling and some robbers came up to him and they beat him half to death. So he's laying there in the dirt, about to die. All of his belongings have been stolen and a Samaritan man comes along and decides to help him. In fact, the Samaritan did three simple things that reminded us that he had a generous heart. that that in his heart and in his mind, he didn't think about himself all the time. He thought about the lost and the hurting. The Samaritan teaches us three simple things. And he did three simple things. The first thing he did was he stopped. He stopped. Now, it's interesting. In the story, there was a priest and a Levite, two really good Christian people, and they didn't stop. Now we don't know why they didn't stop. Maybe their life was super busy, didn't have time to stop. Maybe they had an appointment and the appointment was more important than the person dying. Maybe they had a a family barbecue to get to. Maybe they had fireworks in their pocket and they just had to go light them off. We don't know, but here's what we do know. They didn't stop. And that means that the generosity that was lacking in their heart was so small that they didn't care about the, someone that was hurting. And Jesus said, that's a problem. That's a problem. And as a body of Christ, we're called to be those that stop. But it's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard in our super busy, kind of chaotic world to just stop but it's what God calls us to and here's what I believe if you'll be generous with your time God can give you more time too the second thing the Samaritan did was he cared in the story Jesus said that the Samaritan went over he poured oil and wine on the man which started the healing process and all his wounds but then he picked him up he put him on his donkey and he took him to the inn. But that wasn't it. In the inn, it says that he took care of his needs all night long. So, all night long, this Samaritan man was a nurse by this guy's side, helping him with his wounds, whatever they might be. There were physical wounds, there were probably mental wounds, there was probably all kinds of stuff. But he took care of him all night. So whatever his appointment was for that day got canceled. And the next day he had to leave. So the next day he, he went to the innkeeper and he said, hey, I, I wanna give you an amount of money and I want this, to let this guy stay in your inn and could you take care of him? And whatever else you have expenses for in his care, I'll pay you when I come back through town. So he gave money to the innkeeper to take care of the man, paid for his expenses. See, the good Samaritan saw the man that was hurting and his heart and his wallet made a huge difference in this man's life. Generosity is a result of love and a desire to care for people in need. And that's a place where God wants each of us to live this place where we have big hearts and where we can use whatever we have to care for others. The apostle Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 9, verses six through 11, when he talked about generosity. There were some people that were hurting in Jerusalem and he was asking the church in Corinth if they could help and take an offering and this offering would go to help the people in Jerusalem that were in the middle of what was probably a famine, but they were also under great persecution there because of their belief in Christ, and so they were taking an offering to help them. And and here's what Paul said about generosity in 2 Corinthians 9. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you will be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now I noticed several things about generosity in this section of verses. The first one is the principle of sowing and reaping. Now, it's interesting. This is a godly principle, sowing and reaping. So it's God's idea. And what God says is when we are giving to his kingdom and we're giving to things that he is doing, if we give a little, we will get a little. If we give a lot, we will get a lot. Now, that's the sowing and reaping principle. It's a biblical principle. And here's what we have to do with this principle. We have to trust God in it because it's God's principle. It's not our principle, it's His. So what God is saying is when you you graciously and generously give out of the abundance of your heart to things that I'm doing, I'll make sure that you're always taken care of as well. And then remember every blessing that God gives is not always physical or financial. Some of the greatest blessings we have in our lives are spiritual and God will always bring that back around. Another thing I noticed about generosity is that we should decide in our heart what to give. So generosity is about what's happening in your heart. Some things will move your heart and some things won't. And that's just how the Holy Spirit works in each of us. It's also how many of the needs in the body of Christ get taken care of. As, each, as the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts, all of us individually, different needs get taken care of throughout the body of Christ and all around the world as a result of each of us obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit and the Lord touching us and our hearts stirring towards something in particular. And as a result of that, things get taken care of. So maybe your heart gets stirred to, uh, to to take care of a child somewhere around the world and so you give monthly to an organization, but maybe your heart doesn't stir for that. Maybe your heart is stirred to um, organizations within the church that dig freshwater wells somewhere around the world. And you're like, man, that really turns my crank. Every time I see a video about giving fresh water to an entire village, I just start to cry and I think I wanna give to that because I think that's awesome what God can do. Whatever it is for you, you you may say, man, Amanda just talked about giving scholarships to youth. I remember being a youth and going to camp. I got to find her after church because I got to scholarship someone because that's just touching my heart this morning. If the Lord's touching your heart, then that means generosity is welling up inside of you and you are desiring what you should give. And as your heart is moved, that's the Holy Spirit working in you, which leads to number three and four you don't give out of compulsion. You're not giving because somebody is requiring you to. It's not a command. It's not a have to. Generosity is about the Holy Spirit doing something in you. And so you're not doing it because you have to. You're doing it because you have a cheerful heart, which is number four, give with a cheerful heart. So there's joy inside of you. There's there's happiness going on. There's something inside of you, and that's the Holy Spirit that that is speaking to you and moving your heart about something specific to give to, and so you just decide to give because your heart is motivated in that direction and because the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart. Number five is God is able to bless you because you are generous. This, This scripture said that God is able to bless us because we are generous he will supply what we need all the time having everything we need we will abound in everything that we need because we chose to bless others god will bless us and number six generosity is also about just being thankful to god for what he's done in our life it's part of just the thankfulness that is inside of us that says i'm so thankful what god has done for me and i want to do that for someone else and I want someone else to see what God has done for me. See, these verses about generosity and about tithing, they lead to a really good question, and that is, is God, tried, is God trying to increase our standard of living or our standard of giving? God's trying to increase our standard of giving. Now, this is God's formula. It's his financial formula that tithing plus generosity equals contentment. Now here's something that I've discovered about contentment. You might have too, but I've noticed something about contentment in my life and what the Holy Spirit does. The more obedient I am to God's word and to the Holy Spirit's voice, the more content I am. There's like a direct correlation between the two. The more I obey God's word and the more I hear the Holy Spirit and obey him, the more content I am. And so when every, as many areas as I can possibly get to be obedient to the Lord in my life, the more content I feel. There's just a direct correlation to the promises of God working in our life and the Holy Spirit's presence there. So What we discover in that process is you and I, we will be more content financially when we give to God regularly and when we are generous from our heart and our wallet. There will be a natural contentment that will be a part of our life as a result of trusting the Lord. Now, I I wanna challenge us a little bit. I wanna challenge those of you that maybe have never tithed or have stopped tithing. I wanna challenge you, try it. Try it. Here's why. Because every time we step out in faith, God meets us there. It's so incredible. Every single time that you give to the Lord, He will meet you there. He will provide for whatever is lacking because you gave and you will see the kingdom of God do something spectacular in somebody else as a result of your giving. There's something very interesting about what God does. Now our question this year is what? Do I trust God? So here's the challenge. Do you trust God with your finances? Because the word's fairly clear. If I trust God with my finances, I tithe and I become a generous person. So this is our opportunity to say, I trust God with my finances. So here's what I wanna do. Here's what I wanna challenge you in. I wanna challenge you to tithe and be generous in the next three months. Give God three months, July to September. Test him, try him. See if he isn't able to take care of you better than you can take care of yourself. And see if he won't, through the power of the Holy Spirit, bump you into people that you can care for. And as you're generous to them, you'll discover that you get to be the hands and feet of Jesus on this planet to others that need him. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing better than giving to that. So I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you because this is the only area in God's word that says we can test God. It comes from Malachi chapter three. In Malachi chapter three, verse eight, The prophet Malachi said this from God. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? Where did we ever cheat you? And God said, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heavenly armies, I will open the window of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. This is God's formula, tithing plus generosity equals contentment. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we just give you thanks so much for what you've done for us. Lord, it'd be impossible to put a price tag on leaving heaven and dying on the cross and coming back to life and then pouring out the Holy Spirit into our lives so we can live for Jesus today. Lord, there's not a price tag on that. And so we just want to say thank you to you. Lord, we also help us that you would help us to just get our hearts and minds wrapped around the fact that everything is yours and that we're we're called to be responsible with the things that you've given us. Thank you that you have given us Lord, thank you that we live in America, that we live in this great country. And Lord, we know we've got some challenges and some problems financially as a culture, but we also have so many blessings. Lord, we pray that we would move forward into this understanding that tithing plus generosity equals contentment. That we would understand that contentment comes when we just fully trust all of the areas of our life to you I pray that we would understand that honoring you with our finances will bring contentment it'll bring peace we'll have less anxiety and the, the, our life that sometimes gets wrapped up around money will we'll find contentment in Christ as we discover Lord that you take care of us and as we see your hand provide for us month after month after month. Lord, for those that um, are just feeling challenged this morning to obey your word and to obey Holy Spirit and begin to tithe and be generous, Lord, I, I pray that you would be with them during the next three months. As they commit their life to you and as they... Uh, Receive their income and they take the first part of that income, that first 10% and give it to you. Lord, I pray that you would begin to do so many things in their heart and in their mind, that you would bump them into people as well that they can be generous to, that that we can be the hands and the feet of Jesus all over our city because we've chosen to stop and care and help financially. Lord, may this be the, the cry of your people. And Lord, may we notice that we are always taken care of by you, that no matter what we do, in everything we do, we abound because we have chosen to let money come in and money go out in the name of Jesus for your praise and for your glory. We give you thanks and praise, Jesus. In your name we pray, we all said, amen. 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 Well, great to see you this morning. Uh, Thanks so much for being here. Happy Fourth, everyone. And I also want to remind you, don't don't take off. Stick around. We have red, white, and blue popsicles. Out in the commons, grab a popsicle, take it outside. There's also some questions that you can ask people about their 4th of July celebration. So always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.